Turn your Bibles, or open your Bible to Psalm 44 this morning. Been uh, doing a series on living without. We've looked at living without the life you've wanted, living without the support you think you need. And this morning, I want to think through just the whole subject of live, living without answers to the dilemmas we often face. I uh, had a life-changing experience in our first church down in King Street um, when I got the uh, phone call that um, Polly Smith, a uh, very petite uh, widow, 100-pound, 5-foot lady, just as sweet as they come, sang in the choir, was always at prayer meeting. Um, I don't know anybody that didn't love Polly. Um, She was just always there for you, the church, and for ministry. And I got this phone call. Uh, David, you're going to want to know Miss Polly has been murdered. And so I immediately got in the car and started driving to her house or her farm because I asked, where is she? She says, well, she's still home. She was murdered in her home. And as I'm on my way, I'm thinking, how am I going to answer the question? The question I know I'm going to be asked is why? Why did this happen? I mean, why, why does something like this happen to someone so nice and godly and caring and giving? Why do bad things like this happen to the best of us at times. And as I was pondering that question, I was gaining, you know, before I was asked, I was gaining more information. What it was, was uh, one of her farmhands. She had inherited the farm, still uh, would let uh, different men plow the farm and take care of it for her. But one of her farmhands that day was plowing out in the back, um, and he was on drugs, And he had been told, if you don't come up with $50 by this evening, you'll die. And so he didn't have $50. And he was thinking about, where is he going to get $50? And it came to him, well, Miss Polly's probably got $50 in that house right there. So he just got off of his tractor, walked in through the back door, picked up a kitchen knife, and headed to the back of the house where Polly was in her bedroom. And as he was going in, she was coming out. She would have easily, gladly given him $50. But he didn't ask. He just stabbed her and took $50 and strangely got back on his tractor and plowed the rest of the afternoon and then left to take care of his drug debt. He was arrested later that day. It was easy to track his footprints, figure out who was who. But why does that happen? Why does something as senseless like that happen? And we know other kind of experiences like that. Why do some of our godly friends and family, why are they in accidents? Why are they disfigured? Why are they disabled? Why do we have the tragedies we face? Why do the people we love the most seem to struggle the most? Somebody said they thought this was persecuted Christian Sunday. I'm not sure if it is or not, but uh, some of the stats out there is that One of our brothers and sisters in the faith, 
One Christian is, um, has to give up their life for their faith every six seconds. Millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ die because of persecution. Why? Why does that happen? Why do these bad things continue to happen to good people? And Psalm 44, I think, struggles with that whole dilemma. And how do we answer what seems to be unanswerable at times? And there's, there's all kind of things, obviously, you could put in there besides murder and besides death. You know, why are Christians robbed? Why are, are churches um, uh, vandalized? Why do churches split? Uh, why are the heroes of our land coming back uh, disabled. There's just so much we could add. Why, why, why? And what are the answers to that? And I want you to see just three simple rules. Um, when you get in that situation, number one, dwell on what you do know. Dwell on the foundations. Number two, pray. Pray through the dilemma constantly. And then number three, really just cling. Cling to the love of Christ we've just been singing about. First of all, let's learn to dwell on the foundations. You see, the first thing the psalmist does here, the first eight verses of Psalm 44, is just a dwelling on past convictions, things that you know because you know because you know. This, these are verses where it becomes clear to you, education, experience matters. And these verses are talking about just that, verses 1 through 8. Oh God, we, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. So he's just starting out by saying, we've heard about these things. These are things in the past, not getting to the present yet. These are things God, our fathers told us. The, the previous generation was building us, the current generation. And as they were building us, they told us things about God. Verse 2, uh, you with your own hand drove out nations. I mean, you think about the, the Canaanites coming into the promised land for the first time. There were people already there. It wasn't just a beautiful uh, green meadow with, that they just, you know, wandered upon like little house on the prairie and set up shop. No, there were cities and there were nations and as they did the survey, what kind of people are there? Because God's going to give us this land, and we've got to wipe these people out. And as they did the surveys, they said, these people are descendants of Goliath. They're giants. You know, how are we going to take this crowd? And the stories came down to the next generation and the next generation. God went before them, and he drove out nations. And so they... He, he's just dwelling on this at this point. He says, then you planted them, verse 2, and you afflicted the peoples, and you spread them abroad. You scattered these people out. Verse 3, for by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. It was your right hand, God, and your arm, and the light of your presence, for you favored them. Then notice how the language switches. From you, 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 to, and them to my. Verse 4. You are my king, O God. So he begins to ask. Command victories for Jacob through 
you, we will push back our adversaries. So notice just what, what just happened. He dwelt on past victories of God for his people. God, in the past, you've done some great stuff. And because of that, I'm going to ask you, basically, can you do it for me now? Can you give me that old-time religion? It was good enough for my fathers. It worked for the previous generation. Will it work for me now? When you're living without answers, that's where you need to start. Dwell on what you do know, not what you don't know. What do I know in the past? What have my fathers and mothers been telling me? They have told me I would have hard times. They've told me I would go through things like this. What else did they say? What did they say about God? Was God there for them when they went through these kind of things? That's the where the psalmist starts. And you'll see that over and over as a pattern in the book of Psalms. That when they were going through this kind of situation where they just didn't have answers, start with what you know. Start with what you've been told. Start with what previous generations experienced and know to be true. Use your education. Use your experience. And all of that that's been given to you from a previous generation as well. Um, you know, it, it just... It, it just reminded me, uh, yesterday I was uh, trying to fix my lawnmower and uh, uh, different things um, about it. It's a time of year where, <clears throat> about six years ago, I guess it was, this is sixth or seventh year, um, I bought a, a leaf vac. If you've, most, a lot of you have been to my house, and you, you know, I got all these huge trees and lots of leaves. And it wasn't too bad when we first moved there. It was 19 years ago. I could just blow leaves right or left and back or even across. I didn't have neighbors. So I just blew them, got them out of my yard. But then neighbors moved in, and I started feeling bad about move, blowing all my leaves into their yard for them to pick up. So, uh, so I did, the, you know, haul the leaves on a tarp for years and years and years, and then I finally broke down. I know it's kind of indulgent, but I just did it, you know, six years ago. So I'm going to buy a leaf vac, and I'm going to suck them up and haul them to the back. Well, I went to crank that thing up yesterday, and... It was blowing the wrong direction. I said, it's not supposed to do that. Well, you know, what's going on? I, 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 had a, I had never worked on a leaf vac. I had no clue. But I thought, well, what would Dad have done? What do I know in the past that might help me now? And I grew up cutting grass all my life, and uh, we always had those little lawnmowers, and uh, when it didn't work, we started taking it apart. So, well, the first thing, well, it does start, so I don't need, what we always did when it didn't work was you took the spark plug out, you know, you see if it was trash in it, you clean it out, you sharpen it up, you know, make sure the gauge is right, put it back together, all of those kind of things. And then if that didn't work, you take the carburetor out. You take the carburetor out because there's these little holes, little jets in there, and air and gas move through there, and you clean all that out and put it back together, and usually it worked. That's just what you do. So I said, well, there's some problem in this leaf vac between here and there because air comes in, air's coming back out, it's not going this way. It's got to be there. So I just started taking stuff apart, you know. Why? Because that's what I knew from my past. That's what works. And uh, so the short story is it, it worked. There was, there was something like bricks of old wet leaves in there that had just clogged everything up. I obviously didn't leave it clean. Um, and once I got all that out, it worked fine. But the same principle. We know things in our past that help us now. And we know things about God that help us now. Start with that. Start with what you know, what is 
true about God delivering, especially in times of tough dilemma. What do you know about God? What do you know about God working things out? Uh, you know that uh, old hymn, It's Well With My Soul. And I think that's probably what the author of that hymn was, was doing and going through as he wrote that song. Because he, he wasn't a songwriter. He was a lawyer. He was a Christian layman like you. And he was an investor. Uh, Horatio Spafford, he invested heavily in, on Lake Michigan in Chicago, just before the great Chicago fire. Um, and he lost a lot of money in that fire. Just prior to that, he had lost his son. He had a son and four daughters, kind of like the Cannies and the Williams. We've got some families like that, right? He lost his son. And then he lost his investments. It's like, what are we going to do? Why, why is this happening to me? I'm just a good Christian person. And so he told his wife, take the four daughters. Let's, 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 we just need to get away from all this fire and everything. And so they planned to take a little vacation to Europe. They uh, booked a, a boat ride. And just before the, the boat was leaving, he, there was some business because of his dealings in Chicago. He had to stay. So he said to his wife and four daughters, y'all go ahead. I'll come in a few days as soon as I can. Um, well, that boat going across the Atlantic, hit another boat. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, the, the, it's a big ocean. You don't have to go that close together. But they collided with another boat. And it sunk in 12 minutes. Not a lot of time to think about what you're going to do. And the four daughters drowned. And so as dad now is going across the Atlantic to meet his wife, he's lost his investments, he's lost his son, and his four daughters. And I'm sure he's wrestling with the same thing we're wrestling. Why, God? Why? And so he begins to dwell on what he knows. You know, when peace like a river attends my way. Really? Peace? Or like when sea bellows, like these waves roll. Whatever my lot... Thou hast taught me, past tense, to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. One thing I know, that, that God has a cause and a reason and a purpose. I don't understand it yet, but he's taught me that all things will work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. And so he writes about that and he sings about that. And that's the experience of the psalmist as well. That we need to remember in our helpless estate that God has shed His own blood for our soul. When we're helpless, when we're without answers, when we don't know what the next thing to do is. So dwell on the foundations. Second, uh, well, and I didn't read it all, but let me, let me continue reading. Uh, verse 4 says, Command the victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversaries. I know this was happen will happen. Through your name we will trample down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But you have saved us from our adversaries. You have put to shame those who hate us. 
So it's like, I know the answer is not me. It's God. God did it in the past. God will do it again for me. The past glory will be my glory. Then he begins to pray more and more. Pray through this dilemma. Yet you have rejected us, brought us to dishonor, and do not go out with our armies. Notice the contrast. You see it real strong between verse um, 7 and verse 10. Let me read the first phrase of verse 7 again. You have saved us from our adversaries. That sounds good. Verse 10. You have caused us to turn back from our adversaries. Wow. What a contrast. You did save, but you're not saving now. And that's tough. Uh, it reminded me of the old uh, Eddie Arnold song my, my folks used to sing all the time. Make, make the world go away. Just get it off of my shoulders. Do the things you used to say. Just make this world go away. Well, I always thought that's just an unrealistic request. I know that's what we feel sometimes, but the world just does not go away. And that's what the psalmist is saying. It just doesn't, this world is, is, is not happening the way I want it to. You did save, but you're not saving. This is not fun anymore. He's convinced God will bring deliverance, but he's not giving, getting deliverance. The problem is not going away. What's going to happen? Verse 12 says, you sell your people cheaply. You have not profited by their sale. Think about that for a minute. It's basically saying, God, you want glory, right? This is vanity. This isn't glory. It's not even profiting you that we're dying, that we're perishing, that we're having trouble. You're letting these things happen to your people for, for literally nothing. It's cheaply. You've profited. You're not even profiting. That's the way he feels. Verse 13, you make us a reproach. To our neighbors, a scoffing, a derision to those around us. You, you make us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my dishonor is before me, and my humiliation has overwhelmed me. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. Uh, can't find any apparent reason for suffering, can he? That's where we're at sometimes. Why, Lord? Why? I really don't see why this is happening. It just doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't, there's no good reason. It just seems to be vain completely. Uh, verses 17, 18, and 19. All of this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you. How about that? And we've not dealt falsely with your covenant. And our heart has not turned back. And our steps have not deviated from your way. And yet you've crushed us. In a place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Now, a little explanation. He's not saying that he is sinless. He's not saying he's perfect. He's just being honest. God, I haven't forgotten you. The fact that I'm praying right now is, is, is indication of that. I'm still depending on you. I still trust you. I have not forgotten you. I haven't kept myself from you. I'm not running from you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not missing church, so to speak. In other words, I'm a good Christian church-going person. Why is this happening to me? That's all he's saying. He's saying, I don't know of any known sin. You're not chastening me for some particular matter. Because if you are, you haven't revealed it to me. 
And I'm in the Word. I'm in with your people. I'm in prayer. And yet still bad things are happening. Do you ever feel like you're there? Like, I, I wish I knew why this was happening. Because if I did know, I would fix it. Or I'd pray to fix it. But he said, I just don't know why at all. I'm living without answers here. Verse 20. If, if we had forgotten the name of our God. See, like, you know, if we'd have been like a non-Christian. Or if we'd have run away from the faith, that'd be different. In other words, I'm not like Jonah. I didn't get on a boat and run away. I came back to you, God. So why is this happening? Second part of verse 20. Or extended our hands to a strange God. I'm not an idolater. I'm not, I'm not forsaking the religion of Christ. Verse 21. Would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of our heart. He knows God knows everything. And he's still in front of God. Um, Verse 22, we get a clue. But for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You can circle those words, but for your sake. That's the clue. It's not the answer. It's just the clue. That God, all I, I still don't have an answer. All I know is that what's going on is for you. You know the reasons. You're sovereign. You get it, but I don't get it. Somehow, this is for your sake. And just knowing that helps. I've got this dilemma. Um, I'm not being judged for sin. I I don't know what the sin is if I am. I'm not being judged for sin. I'm not being judged because God wants to prevent sin. I... He's not trying to remove sin. He doesn't seem to be trying to prove my faithfulness. There's just no answer. None of those answers are in this text. Those are other reasons sometimes for our trials. Sometimes God does chasten us. Sometimes God does want to remove sin. He wants to chasten us for sin. He wants to correct us. He wants to instruct us. All of those things happen sometimes. We know why those are things before us. But the psalmist is saying, I don't have a reason why this is happening. None of those things seem to be... God's reason. Why present problems, God, that don't have answers? And he says, I guess there is an answer. God knows it. God wants this. How do you live when you don't have answers? I think what the psalmist is doing is when he still doesn't have answers, he just depends on God. He keeps praying. God, it's, you must know. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are greater than my ways. You get this on a level that perhaps I can't get. But you do get it, and it's for your sake. The world's not spinning off of its axis. There's, we haven't lost the one who's on his throne. It's still for you. It's still for your sake. Um, he doesn't complain. He just shares his desperation for God's work. And when he gives this answer, but for your sake, I think he starts feeling better. I know I do. When I just stop to think, this is for God? Okay, well, if it's for God, then he's going to work it for his good. He's going to work it for my good. He's going to work it for his glory. That's the whole Romans 8, 28 theme, that God's going to work everything together for good. Because he has a church and he's building this church and the gates of hell won't prevail. And so it will work out. He's going to take care of it. It's going to be for his sake. Some 
how. And when you get there in your prayer, your faith starts to grow and it leads you away from desperation. Because you start remembering there is someone in charge and he's going to take care of it and it's going to be better. It's kind of like mommy kissing it and making it better. You know, we've all been there where you've skint your knee or hurt your finger and mommy says, come here, let me kiss it, it'll make it better. And so you come and you give your finger or your skint knee to mama and mama kisses it and says, there, it's better. Now, is it really better? It might still be skint, might still be bleeding, the scab hasn't grown, hasn't healed, might still be hurting. But you shake your head and say, yeah, it's better. Why is it? Why, why do you agree with mama at that point? It's called faith. It's called faith. I trust her. If she says it's better, it's better. She knows it's going to work out. She's looked at the wound. She's investigated. And she's tenderly dealt with it, even with a kiss. It's going to be all right, if she says so. She didn't scoop me up and take me to the ER. She just kissed it and said, it's going to be better. And there's times we take our stuff to God the same way and say, God, I, I just need to know you're looking. I need to know you see my dilemma, the situation I'm in. I'm struggling here. I'm hurting here. I don't have the answers here. And God says, got it. And we say, oh. Okay, it's for your sake, and it's going to be all right, and it's going to be better. We live there, and that's where the psalmist was leading us to, to think through that and understand the beauty of that. He clings to God right after that, verse 23 through 26 he says, arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget your affliction, our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is sunk down to the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. You see the forsake of again? For your sake. For the sake of your loving kindness. You love your people. Rise up. Take care of us. Now, it's a plea for God's intervention on the basis of covenant love. God, because we are your people and you love us, I'm just pleading with you. Come and help us now. Um, we've got to still come to God, even when we don't understand. We've got to still plead with him. We've got to still acknowledge he's our only hope, our only help out of this desperate situation that we're in. Life is not like an episode of, the Mayberry, of Mayberry. You know, it's just, it doesn't always end sweet. And the psalmist doesn't tell us that it's ended for him. He tells us what we need to do. We need to dwell on God's past faithfulness. We need to share our dilemma, and we need to trust God's going to come because he loves us. Because he sees us and he loves us. And that's the plea that God will just wake up and come. And he, you, you, you get the sense that the psalmist understands God is awake. God's not asleep. He's not on vacation. He, he is awake and he does see and he is coming. Because he, he loves us and he cares for us. Um, it's just 
reminding yourself of the gospel. Uh, I read a story once of uh, an old Indian. Uh, we call them American, Native Americans now. But he was out, out, out in uh, the country, and some folks came upon the Indian tribe, and they got to talking, and this Indian just was sharing the gospel. First thing he said, do you, y'all know Christ? Do you know about redemption in Christ? And they said, why do you talk so much about Jesus? We want to talk about other stuff. He says, what do you mean? Why do I talk about Jesus? He says, Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is my rescue. He's my redemption. He just kept talking. He says, let me illustrate it for you like this. And I just thought the illustration was great. The, the Indian, oh, excuse me, American, what do we call him? Native American, uh, trying to learn this political language. Uh, he stepped down and he got some dry twigs and leaves and he made a little fire and he put the fire in a circle and he, he got a caterpillar and put the caterpillar, it was right in the middle. And so as the fire lit up, it started burning around this and you could watch the caterpillar as he saw the fire, he would try to keep going away. Well, caterpillars don't go very fast, so he could never make it to safety. And finally the fire was all the way around the caterpillar. And there was no way out. And then the Indian reached down and he lifts the caterpillar out. He says, that's what Jesus did for me. He says, I was helpless. I was hopeless. I couldn't even climb onto his finger. I was going to die in the pits of hell. And yet Jesus rescued me. So why do you tell me, don't talk about Jesus? Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my rescue. Jesus is the one who does redeem me. Even if I don't know the answers, I'm still going to trust in Jesus to come and rescue me because he's the only one who can. The help has to come down from above. And Christ does that in our situation here on earth. We're surrounded by trouble all the time. And there's no hope except it come from the Lord. You know, uh, we sing another old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. You all know that. I love that, that hymn, but uh, in seminary, I, I was focusing on it years ago, and I just really fell in love with the third stanza. And so anytime we sing that old hymn, I just can't wait for the third stanza. It's, you know, it's like, to me, that's the crescendo. That's where my heart really gets engaged. And I don't hear a lot of people emphasize the third stanza, but that's the one that does it for me. The third stanza is his oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Think about that. God is saying, I have an oath. I took a vow. I made a promise. I would be your God. You would be my people. So when when I'm in a dilemma, when my soul has no answers, it's then that I remember, my folks have told me before, I've seen it in my past, God made a promise. He, he, He took a vow. I will still come. I will still rescue. You are my people. I am your God. It's an oath. It's a covenant. It's a legal document. It's an agreement that we have between one another. I'm not about to sin and break that covenant. 
It's my oath. It's my covenant. And if you doubt that I love you, just look at the blood of Christ. His oath, his covenant, the blood of Christ support me. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. See, I don't need to know the answers. I just need to know his oath, his covenant, and his blood. It's for his sake. And he's not going to abandon. He's not going to not hear my prayers. He is going to come. And he's going to redeem for the sake of his loving kindness. I don't know, are you in a situation this morning where you just feel like there's no answers? You'll get in one at some point, again, even if you've been in one and you're in one now. So just remember this psalm, come back. I need to dwell on what I know. I need to pray, pray, pray that God is who has been faithful will be faithful. I need to cling to his oath, his covenant, his blood. That he will take care of me. I will not be forsaken because of his loving kindness. Because his glory matters. His church matters to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a psalm that's, that's what we would call really real. It's really authentic. It's right where we are. It's right where we live. There's times where... We search and don't come up with good answers. And Google doesn't help. Lord, but your word does. Your faithfulness matters. Your gracious kindness to listen. And then your promised redemption, your promise to come. And to lift us up into the glories of heaven. Father, for those here that are struggling without answers right now. Why did you make their life the way you did? Why are they facing what they're facing? Father, draw them close to where you are. To give them that assurance that they're loved and they're cared for. And you're going to deliver from their dilemma. We love you, Lord. We thank you that we can always depend upon you, even when we don't have the answers. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.